Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 185. In this episode, we're talking about teaching the Old Testament to children with Dr. Kaz Hayashi and Shelley Henning. Dr. Kaz Hayashi is Associate Professor of Old Testament at Bethel Seminary, and Shelley Henning is the co-founder and CEO of Grow Family, which provides family resources for parents and church leaders. And she's the Children's Ministry Catalyst for the Reformed Church in America, and one of our recent graduates at Bethel Seminary in our Children's and Family Ministry Program. Together, Kaz and Shelley co-wrote an article, Teach All Scripture to Children, in the Children's Ministry Magazine, Entre Niños. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Reverend Dr. Chris Porter, Dr. Chris Song, and myself, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So this conversation with Kaz and Shelley about teaching the Old Testament to children was uh, just just a delight to to hear about their um, strategies for teaching children and for uh, teaching all of the uh, Old Testament, even the even the rough parts that uh, you know give us pause and and that we ourselves as adults might want to skip over. They really model an, an honest uh, and holistic approach uh, that I think it will be uh, really beneficial to uh, to glean from, especially if you have uh, small children and have been wondering, you know, how 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 should we go about uh, teaching uh, scripture uh, and the Old Testament in particular to to children? Uh, Chris and Chris, what were some of the takeaways that you had from our conversation with Cause and Shelley? Yeah, I really appreciated this conversation with Carson and Shelley that, that they're really keen to see kids wrestle uh, well with the Old Testament. Um, and not just kids wrestle with the Old Testament, but also adults and, and kids t- teachers. And so uh, really thinking hard about how to encourage that uh, in their kids uh, and in the kids that they work with, being able to, to see them uh, grow in their, in their knowledge and love of God uh, through the Old Testament. And that, that really comes across in this. Yeah, I really appreciated what uh, both Kaz and Shelley were um, offering in terms of really for me a challenge uh, to to do our prep, to not sell our kids short, um, but to wrestle with the difficult questions, to plan and prepare ahead. Um, if we feel that we're not equipped to handle some of the delicate and difficult or maybe controversial parts of scripture, um, the answer is not to to screen it out and to avoid it altogether, but um, to have some conversations, um, to recruit teachers that um, are able, that have thought through this. And uh, I, I think that what, what results is, um, I think, really just a matter of putting our priorities in the right place, which is to teach all of scripture. So I really appreciate uh, what they have, and I'm walking away with a lot to think about. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. And with that, here's our conversation with Dr. Kaz Hayashi and Shelley Henning. Well, Kaz and and Shelly, thank you so much for joining us. It's a joy to join you all. Yeah, thank you for the invite. So we're really excited to talk about uh, teaching the Bible to uh, children uh, with with all of you as a as a way to start. Um, what about the Old Testament specifically? Why why teach the Old Testament? Why not just, for example, skip that and get right to Jesus and focus on stories in the Gospels or something like that? Well. For starters, anyone who cares about the New Testament and Jesus should care about the Old Testament. Um, This is an often said thing of how the Bible for Jesus himself was the the Old Testament. And even in scripture, we read about how Jesus at a young age is at the synagogue speaking about scripture. And this is child Jesus speaking about the Old Testament. So you can even see that even for Jesus, Jesus's childhood and his spiritual growth and the growth of his knowledge of, of the Bible begins with actually the Old Testament. So for Christians to be, you know, Christological or follow Jesus's example, I think this is actually the starting point that we want to have. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Um, and also, 
just the fact that there is so much in the Old Testament that informs the new. Um, there is so much more beauty in exploring the New Testament when we have everything, everything from the Old Testament to inform that. Um, so much more um, mystery and beauty. And I think that we are missing a lot if we ignore teaching the old. When it comes to children specifically, teaching the Old Testament is so important, really, for their faith foundations. Um, so everything as they grow and we learn more about scripture, everything is circled back, right, to the Old Testament and events in the Old Testament, commands in the Old Testament. Um, without that, children are missing a big piece of what they need to know in their own faith formation, um, which a, a good thing is it can lead to a lot of questions. Um, but our, our, our children aren't often in a place where they can identify what questions they need to ask when they're missing such a huge part of, uh, of history of the Bible. Uh, thanks, Cousin Shelley. Uh, it strikes me that quite often we end up with um, Old Testament narratives embedded within our Bibles or in the way that we teach scripture, which seem to then uh, sort of compartmentalize the, the story. So we get a little snippet from here, a little snippet from there. We get, you know, two or three key points through uh, Genesis. We get you know, the occasional story out of Exodus. Um, we'd really like to leave out some of the bits about Judah and Tamar and things like that. Um, and then there's a little bit of, of Exodus, and then it just jumps straight to David half the time. Um, and so what, what it, what's your thoughts about how we teach Scripture in a coherent way rather than just this little bit here and a bit there uh, and jump around um, as we go? That I think is such an excellent question. Um, and I think from my, at least from my experience in training children's ministry leaders and church leaders uh, in my area, in my denomination, we rely very heavily on publishers giving us a curriculum. And that curriculum has an established scope and sequence that says, these are the stories you're going to cover. Um, and as leaders, I think our tendency is to accept that as what needs to be done and teach what they give us, um, which very, very often is missing so much of scripture, just as you said. Um, I, when I speak to children's ministry leaders, when I ask to look at their scope and sequence, technically, typically they give me whatever the publisher would have for a Sunday school material or a Wednesday night VBS, whatever it might be. Um, and I always ask, but what is your church's scope and sequence? Um, so as a children's ministry leader, encouraging them to look through that scope and sequence and see what's missing, um, what stories doesn't it cover, and how are you going to include that in your ministry? Uh, we could say the same thing, I think, when it comes to the home and parents. Uh, we, we love to to get a great children's Bible or a great children's devotional, but it, it never covers the entire Bible. Um, so as a parent, looking through that and saying, what stories is it missing? And how can I incorporate that? Do I need a second children's Bible or a second devotional that covers um, more stories that we can fill in or do after this together as a family? Um, and as a parent, I have never in, in over 20 years of, of ministry in the church had a parent ask me for the scope and sequence of their child's um, children's ministry foundation. And I think that's a very important question for parents to be asking of their church and of their church leaders. Say, Can you give me the, the scope of what you teach my child so that I know what you're teaching? I know what I'm teaching at home and we can work to make sure that we do not miss anything from scripture, because like we said, uh, all scripture is God breathed. Everything is important. Um, so that that's just a little bit about how I see uh, the importance of making sure everything is included.
Yeah, and building off of what Shelley's saying, I think there's the role of the church and, you know, children's ministry, but also the responsibility that we as parents should take, as well as um, the children themselves to taking up reading scripture on their own. Because in reality, we know that um, just going to church on Sunday or even Sunday and Wednesday, there's only so much that you can cover um, throughout the year or even across multiple years. Um, however, if you're reading scripture on a daily basis at home, and when I say daily basis, this is more than just like, hey, here's two verses we're going to read this morning, right? Um, if, if you get used to reading a chunk of scripture to your family, um, you can actually go through a surprising amount of the biblical text throughout the year. Um, and for example, for my family, um, I think an art that is lost often in American church churches or Christians are just this art or habit of reading scripture together. So, you know, I usually sit together with my family and we just read the Bible. And when I do that, I just read the entire book. So, you know, my family has already, my, kid, my children have already heard the entire Pentateuch. I mean, every chapter, every verse um, and a huge portion of other scriptures. And I think when people hear this, they're a bit shocked. They, they think, well, how can kids listen so long or how can they keep their attention? But, you know, it's very common for us to maybe let our kids watch a show for 30 minutes or for movies, even two hours. So it's actually really doable. You know, um, I think it's, it's possible to sit through 30 minutes of just reading scripture together and it shouldn't. And once that becomes a habit, it's not something odd. And I think there's a lot of benefit and beauty that comes out of this. Um, in biblical scholarship or studies, there's something called intertextuality that a lot of scholars focus on. And that's the study of how a author of a book is alluding to other books, maybe within, within the New Testament or for New Testament authors, how um, they're using the Old Testament. And for Old Testament authors, how a Old Testament book is looking into another book. And this is everywhere. And I think once you start reading large portions of scripture sequentially, people start seeing um, a pattern of how the biblical texts are connected even across individual books. So we'll see something like this with, for example, the burial of Joseph's, uh, Joseph's um, um, bones or body. You see that it, that connects the book of Genesis with what um, follows in the historical books and even with Joshua after the account of Jericho, um, there's this curse that is said, and you see the fulfillment in Kings. And of course, some Bible teachers can point that out explicitly, but I think it's more, it's meant to be more inductive or it, it should be coming more naturally for people as they read. Um, they'll, they should be saying, oh, I remember that story. Oh, I see the connection and how these um, allusions or intertextuality is meant to inform how we read or understand a biblical story. Has share the ages of your children. Yeah, um, my oldest daughter is 10. My um, younger daughter is seven and I have a three-year-old boy. I love that uh, because as you mentioned, you do, you have read the entire Pentateuch with your three-year-old. Uh, and I think that is uh, remarkable for people to hear and to know that, yeah, this is something that, that you can do. Yeah, no, thanks you guys so much uh, for uh, for what we've got so far. And I am also really encouraged, uh, Cass, to hear, um, you know, just just sort of the the demystifying of, of reading scripture together um, and making that something that you do as a family, something that you encourage your kids to do on their own. I think that um, there's 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 some trepidation sometimes there um mm -hmm. and uh that's it's it's really good to sort of lean into that um i wanted to uh sort of develop a little bit more uh what what we've been covering in terms of scope and sequence um i i'm a parent now of teens um but um having you know walked through the bible with my kids um being involved in sunday school and youth group ministries I have to admit that I'm also guilty of um, doing something selective. Uh, I I think of this more like, uh, you know, that part in Lion King where there's the shadow land. You must not ever <laughs> go there. 
Um, I, I feel like uh, I've kind of taught the Bible that way. Um, there are passages and parts of scripture that um, either I might be okay to teach and have the kids ask questions about, but um, I, I have a real sense that some of the Sunday school teachers um, or other people might mm -hmm. not feel equipped um, to, to handle some pretty difficult sections in scripture. I'm, I'm really thinking about what scholars call harem, um, the ban, um, things that are difficult, hard to explain. Um, and, um, and so I, I, I want to know your thoughts on how do you counsel um, teachers to, uh, to approach this faithfully um, uh, with wisdom? Um, you know, what, what kind of advice would you give to folks that struggle with sort of opening that up to kids? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent question, Chris. Um, I can cheat because I have over a decade of former biblical studies um, behind me. And even with all the training, um, some texts are ethically and theologically complex and difficult to deal with. Um, and I see why, and I, I understand why many children's ministry or something would like to take maybe some, some texts that might be traumatizing um, out. Um, so of course there there's some wisdom as to how to go about teaching that. But uh, um, I do think that there, I mean, when I read it, I just read straight from the Bible often. Um, and I use, you know, your standard biblical translation like NIV or ESV. But there are other ones that are a little bit more simple, simply written. So I think there's a children's version of the NIV and other um, versions that make it a little bit more palatable or easy to understand language um, when we're teaching. I do think that um, teaching the Bible sometimes requires prep. Um, and I think that's fine. And any teacher would know that the more prep you do ahead of time, the easier it is to communicate even complicated concepts to our children. So if educators are willing to do that when they teach, I don't know, math, science, history to their children, why can't we do that with the Bible? Uh, when we, I, I don't think there are any elementary curriculum that will say, well, we're not going to teach about World War II or 9-11 just because it's traumatizing or it's, you know, difficult ethically for children. I think there is tremendous value in actually talking about traumatic events in the biblical record to help um, children know what might be right, what might be wrong, or what might be um, theological or ethical standards of both our time and in the ancient world. So, with that being said, um, you know, passages like the harem, when I read it, you know, um, because I kind of talk about, well, here, maybe some things that are important is, is that, you know, we see, for example, the story of Joshua, I think really that story is a, more than anything, a story about radical obedience to what God says. Because clearly, and, and this one also helps when you read not only that story, but that story in the story of I that immediately follows, because those two stories are meant to be read together. And by reading it together, we're able to see theological emphasis. So Joshua is a story of radical obedience, which God awards or God fights for his people and God protects his people. However, the story of I is the complete opposite. Whereas one story of disobedience lead to massive consequences of the community. So this is something that's important to tell, I think, children. I said, you know, the, the life of obedience is trusting in God. And God, of course, rewards that obedience, is pleased by that obedience. And you actually bless not only yourself, but your entire family and community by doing this. And we see this in the story of Joshua with how the one obedience of Rahab has allowed her entire family to be saved. So here there is this aspect of redemption and grace that's in that story in the midst of a story of um, violence. And so with the story of I, we see a disobedience of someone who should be 
obedient, um, Achan. And when he is disobedient, you see there's a consequence that leads to family. And I talk about that with my children, like sin is something that doesn't simply wreck you, but it can wreck your entire family. And that it is something that should be very seriously thought. And we should think about this as a family. It's a family thing that we should be doing and reading together. Does that sort of answer your question, Chris? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's very helpful to, um, to, to, to know. And, and therefore, I think uh, it takes planning. Like, um, <laughs> I think that from a church standpoint, the answer is not, well, we haven't, um, you know, we haven't, you know, been been equipped um, to, to handle this. So let's avoid it altogether. I think, um, I think what you're saying is really wise, which, which is, well, let's, 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 let's get our heads together. Let's, let's do some preparation. Let's talk about how we introduce this um, at what age level. Let's, um, let's talk to the parents um, and let's, let's get a plan together because um, I think, I think wisdom really demands that we um, not, not avoid it, not create the shadowlands that, um, that therefore just create these huge gaps in the Bible that, um, that, that we do not equip either ourselves or our kids to, to handle as, as they come of age and as they grow up in faith. You had mentioned to the Sunday school teacher or the volunteer that oh, so many churches are struggling to find leaders that are willing to pour into our children, lead a Sunday school class. Um, and post COVID, those numbers got even more challenging for children's ministry leaders. And so we've put ourselves in a place where we put the bar really, really, really low in order to get volunteers in the church. And so how easy can we make it for someone to walk in a class and teach kids? Um, and so we really market in the church, um, no prep, just walk in. I think that has been one of our greatest downfalls um, because we didn't, just as you said, Chris, we, we didn't adequately prepare our adults to speak and to pour into our kids. Um, and so they're in a position where they're really, they're not comfortable with many of these stories um, because we've kind of put them in a position where we just want them to be in a room to, to just watch these kids um, pour in relationally, which is really important, but we haven't equipped them with really what they needed in order to, to teach all of scripture to our kids. One of the things too, as we're talking about, you know, teaching scripture to children is we tend to uh, focus on stories and, you know, there is an overarching storyline to scripture, I would say. And Many of the texts that we have, their their genres is narrative. Uh, but of course, there are there are texts that aren't narrative, like the epistles um, of Paul and 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 other apostles and and proverbs and psalms. So, um, what about teaching non narrative to children? Uh, anything that uh, that you would propose uh, about about how we go about doing that? I can talk about you know, teaching, I guess, Torah or law, um, or Torah, better called, it, I guess, translated instruction based on the Hebrew. Because like I said, I've read the entire Pentateuch, which includes a lot of law or even um, ritual ritual um, details that sometimes can be, I mean, boring and people are like, what, what is, what, what's the point of this, right? Um, I think in many ways, some of these things have a lot of maybe when you're reading it, it might not be entertaining. You might not fully get what you're reading. But I do think the knowledge of some of these things have huge payoffs later on, even when reading narratives, because many of the biblical narratives assume that you should know the basic way that the Israelites perform their rituals or cult or sacrifices. They assume that they you should know their basic calendrical systems and holidays and what's the symbolism or meaning behind these things. And by reading maybe some of these instructions or laws or rules regulating these things, you know, at that point, you're like, well, I'm never going to go and 
you know, butcher a sheep in my back lawn and, you know, sacrifice something. But when you do start seeing these symbolisms and meaning, you're, you're going to, you know, even when you're reading prophetic literature and uh, the rich imagery, you're going to start making connection and understanding maybe the symbolism or theological importance behind it. Um, and when I teach um, law to, you know, law to my kids, um, of course, I think one thing that's important is, is talking about how even these laws represent the ethical standard or maybe the values of our creator. Um, I, I think that's really important, especially like a book of Leviticus when reading these things. And, you know, a colleague and friend of mine, Dominic Hernandez, says like, you know, sometimes we talk about law as if its own category. But the whole thing, I think Chris or someone said it like it's a lot of things are embedded in narrative. And that's intentional. These things are embedded in narrative. And you're supposed to place these laws or even poetry. Poetries are often embedded. You know, understanding these poetry or laws within the narrative frame is critically important when properly studying these biblical texts. And when you lose that sight, you're just saying, well, they're just a bunch of rules that we don't get, right? Or you're going to say, well, why read Song of the Sea right right after we read the narrative of the in the narrative story of the Exodus. You know, people say it's redundant. No, there is it's not redundancy. There is a new theological aspect that is added or emphasized, or even this very fact of repeating is maybe saying that we should really pay attention here instead mm -hmm. of just skip yeah. the duplicate narrative. I appreciate uh, when we talk about that in my own family, um, asking questions. Say, why is it? Why do you think it's redundant? Maybe we need to dig into that as a family. Um, and, and it struck me as we were talking about this question, the one that my I have 15 year old twins and the pass or the passages that they tell me they, they struggle with are numbers. <laughs> like, mom, I got to be honest. Um, I kind of skim through the numbers. Uh, and, and it always it always makes me laugh because that's where they always get lost in scripture. But they're still making an effort, right? To say, okay, there is something here. It's tough for me, um, but teaching them to, to work through it and to ask questions uh, that, that we may not know the answer to. Um, another thing that, that came to mind as Kaz was talking for, for me and in my own family is some of those things help us to understand the times, the culture, what was happening. Um, and so, so when we miss some of those passages or we skip pieces of the law because we feel like it's not relevant, um, we miss understanding what was happening because there is a why. Um, so for me and my kids, it's asking questions as often as we can um, to one another. They ask great questions I never even think of. And it's always um, really a joy to be able to research with them and to find answers together that we wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, this idea of, of, of letting questions drive those conversations. Um, I, I see that particularly even in the Old Testament, um, you know, when you read Deuteronomy, when your son asks you in time, like, what do these, what do these feasts mean? Um, I mean, it's already set up that way um, to, um, to explain significance or even just to question um, these things. Um, and I think that that's, that's a really helpful uh, way. Yeah. And I, I like how you phrase that, Shelly, in terms of not knowing the answer. Um, uh, I think that's so important um, to, to model um, the idea that it's not all, it's not all already answer that you can just sort of neatly package and solve that sort of mm -hmm. dissonance. I think that um, the, the process of walking through that with them I think is is um, I think really richly rewarding, and I think it does equip them to be better readers and 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 ultimately, um, you know, better better followers of, of scripture and, and the way. Thanks, Chris. I I wonder whether sometimes we as adults are the ones who struggle with wrestling through these things rather than our kids. Um, so Very I have. True nine, five, and two, the uh, two-year-old doesn't wrestle with much except for, to um, uh, except for toys, but, um, 
he will get there. Uh, the, but the nine and the five year old really want to to, to read through scripture, but um, quite often um, because of the pressures of having a broad Sunday school, um, as well as then um, trying to mesh what what's happening with, with on Sundays with what's happening in our family and things like that. Um, I think sometimes things get missed, but I I do wonder whether sometimes it's the adults who are getting more caught up with things rather than the kids. Uh, so I, I've had a flashback back to uh, when um, Veggie Tales, you know, has that story of Jonah uh, and the what's the great evil that the people of Nineveh do? Well, it's not nothing that's actually. Uh, you know, biblical, or it's nothing that's actually detailed. It's that they slap each other with fish. It's 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 a it gives adults the excuse to not have to deal with uh, questions of sin. Um, and so, I wonder sometimes whether or not we get hung up more on those what we might call the text of terror, or um, you know, other problematic what we see as problematic passages, such as uh, what do you do with Judges nineteen um, and and the dismemberment of the raped um, Levite's concubine, um, questions about Judah and Tamar, et cetera, et cetera. Um, from the point of view of then thinking about sort of scripture curriculum for um, Sunday schools and, and, for, and for things like that, how then, and, and, and also the Bibles that go with them, because frankly, none of the Bibles deal with any of this, um, apart from getting, getting out just a good, um, you know, English translation um, with age appropriate language. Um, uh, yeah, how, how do we promote or what, what's a good way of being able to uh, engage uh, educators, engage the, the parents quite often in being able to wrestle with these things? It's such a good question, and it's a hard question, because when we hear about, quite honestly, uh, I'm in children's ministry, we're very focused on the research and statistics that we hear today about masses of a generation leaving the church, and why did that happen, and what can we do, what do we need to do, <laughs> um, so there's so much in that, and and as we focus on okay, how, how do we reach children? There is this adult factor. Um, like you mentioned with um, the Sunday school teachers, just if they're not prepared, if we ourselves as adults don't know scripture, um, I, I think about, I mean, what parent wants to have the sex talk with their kids as teens? Very few. Um, we would love for the school to handle that so that we as parents don't have to do that, right? It's uncomfortable. It is not something that you want to talk to, to a teenager or a preteen. It's, and they're uncomfortable, which makes you more uncomfortable as a parent. Things tend to go south. Um, but it's such an important conversation that we need to have. And I think of the same thing when we think about scripture. Um, these are very important conversations that we need to have. I loved your reference to Veggie Tales because I'm thinking so many kids like grew up thinking that that actually was truth. Like it was slapping people with fishes and King George and the Ducky was my kid's favorite. I mean, we watched it as well and never thought to myself as a parent, like, whoa, hey, we need to really go back and address this because it seemed developmentally appropriate. Um, but because we didn't always go back and address it, they never connected the fact that Bathsheba was in this and it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't enough. Kids take in what they see and, and they believe that at face value with what we present them with and whether it's a cartoon or not. Um, so in that instance, as a parent, it's, I need to have intentional conversations about as they get older then what that really was. Um, correcting any misconceptions that that may have given our kids talking about the actual scripture what really happened and reading that just like Kaz says directly from scripture um, as uncomfortable as it is it's vitally important just like these other conversations that we need to have with our sons and daughters 
Um, and asking God, I think, for so much grace and patience in those conversations from both ourselves as parents, from our children, um, and not giving up in that because it can be so easy to just say, as a parent, it's uncomfortable. I do not want to talk about this. It's scary. Um, it's, it's, you know, we may even say terrorizing. Um, and I come back to the same thing as what Kaz had mentioned there, that this is our, our, the world that we live in and there are scary things that they will face. And unless we as parents have conversations with them about how that's going to look, um, scripture gives us guidance in that. And it helps our kids to make informed decisions as they go out into the world. And without those conversations, I feel like we we're, we're missing giving them tools in their toolbox. Um, that was kind of a broad answer, but I think there's just so, so much importance to, to those conversations and they are the hardest. They are so uncomfortable. So I used to be, um, for pretty large churches, um, head Bible study teacher, which meant that I went to different age groups and I was in charge of teaching the biblical material. And we also used this video series that the church created um, that taught various Bible stories. And I remember when the children's director, who, who was a friend of mine, asked me to be a head Bible teacher, I said, I'd love to do it, but I have one, one thing. I say, if I disagree with the lesson, I won't, I'll, I'll teach my own. And usually, you know, they did a good job writing their curriculum, but I remember one Sunday, I was preparing and looking at the content they're creating. And I said, I can't teach this. And I actually went up to my children's director and said, today's that day. I won't teach this. I won't show that video. I'll teach it the way I want. Because what happened was that it was a story of Exodus and Moses, you know, killing an Egyptian, right? And in or somehow in our children's ministry, youth ministry, entertainment and fun is the golden standard. Yes. So to make it age appropriate or entertaining for children, they made it funny mm -hmm. that Moses killed an Egyptian. And I just said, this is completely unacceptable. I think this, no one should make a murder scene humorous, especially in the Bible. Um, and, you know, there's this scene of Moses seeing the, you know, what I like to call unburning bush, the so-called burning bush. Um, and they made that humorous. And I said, that's not the reaction that we should model when we encounter the presence of God. It should be all fright and, you know, woe is me. Um, so I just thought that, you know, the fact that they're trying to make, you know, maybe a old Bible story or a common Bible story entertaining, for me, I thought it was ethically and theologically wrong. I felt convicted. I, I just couldn't teach it that way. Um, so there's that kind of thing. Like, yeah, we use materials and even maybe sometimes common stories and especially common stories or where maybe even some churches or curricula may, might be erring. So that I think that's some, one thing that we should note. I remember um, before I teach my um, Old Testament survey class, like I, I just taught it in person this past semester, you know, I actually shared a lot of what I teach to my own kids. <laughs> um, and I remember I would say, well, today we're going to read the story of Jonah, uh, a, a Job. We're going to be studying Job. And my daughter was like, oh, who is Job again? I said, well, of course, you know, right? Don't you remember this? And I actually went downstairs to where my children's, my kids' library is. I went through three children's uh, children's Bible, and none of them had a story of Job. And, you know, I, I was just shocked at that, that they didn't cover the story of Job. And, you know, I, I once again, just flipped open the normal Bible and just started reading from the beginning what, what the story of Job was. And, you know, that's a pretty long book. But that that's another example of, you know, um, maybe some common tales that we would assume that are, should be in our children's Bible or even missing. Yeah. Um, you know, both of you have talked about selectivity in, in some of these resources where, you know, certain things are, are missing. And, you know, there's also selectivity where we'll, we'll tell us a story that's, that's well known in a, in a certain way. So I think of Noah in particular, right. Um, the amount of like, you know, children's, um, 
uh, school rooms that I've been in and seen, you know, Noah's Ark and just how lovely that image is uh, instead of, you know, imagining how frightening uh, that story is. And, you know, thinking about how, you know, I think, you know, our, our mindset is probably often like, oh, well, you know, children love animals. Uh, here's a story about animals. And it's yes. like, well, <laughs> it's a story about how most animals are dead and humans as well. And, um, and, and then, and not, not just that. So there's the selectivity in how we tell that story. But I think what's often left out of that story is um, Noah's drunkenness and nakedness, right? Uh, in the, the, the aftermath of that story. Um, and so, there, you know, there's just multiple ways in which um, we can be selective. And I know, Shelly, you mentioned uh, developmentally appropriate, um, you know, way, ways of teaching things. I just wonder about, you know, how how much censoring do we want to do? Should we do as we think about um, not not just like whole stories are we going to do that or not, but but even just like within a particular story where there are nuances to that story that we might want to uh, omit and and is and is it fine to then circle back a few years later and say oh here's here's more of what's going on uh, in light of that developmentally appropriate. Um, comment that was made earlier. Just curious about some of that self-censoring as we teach. With the story of, um, for example, Noah, and I, I completely agree. There, there, There's a lot of times that maybe a content is difficult to communicate or um, people might feel uncomfortable sharing. Um, my, my kids, this is a family tradition of mine. Um, instead of reading a bedtime story, somehow they love listening to story of when I got in trouble growing up. So they like to call it, dad, tell me a spanking story. Uh, and there's all these accounts of how I made terrible mistakes growing up or silly things that I did that got me in trouble. And they just love hearing it. And, you know, of course, the more of the stories don't be like daddy in that sense. Um, and this this actually comes really natural for us because even a lot of Ace of Fables and things have that rhetoric behind it of like a story of terrible mistakes that were done. Um, when Shelley and I co-authored this article, I actually picked intentionally this, the book of Deuteronomy as an example, not only because it does command us to teach the scripture to children, but what I love with the book of Deuteronomy is how it actually begins with retelling the story of the Pentateuch. And it's actually not a glor like a glorifying history that you might think, you know, and you know, a lot of when history is retold, a lot of people talk about the positives. But Deuteronomy really tells negative stories and the stories of Israel's failure. And in light of these failures, why it's especially important that we know God's word and learn how to cherish it and obey it. Um, so when talking about stories, let's say like Noah's drunkenness, I actually connect it with personal stories. So I'll say, hey, you know, no, after this event, you know, I actually, you know, just straight up read the story because that's just how I do things. But then I say, well, you know, this, this might be a little bit odd or, you know, something that it's difficult to understand. But I was like, did you know that my grandpa, it's like daddy's grandpa and grandpa was actually um, an alcoholic. And I'll say, I actually have had, you know, roommates that were alcoholics. And I'll say, you know, can God still work and love us through our mistakes? And they'll say, of course, yeah, kids are simple. They know that, you know, God's love is that big. But I also talk about how, you know, sometimes when we have traumatic events, you know, you know, sometimes when we have difficult things, people run to alcohol in maybe not a good way and how that can cause um, mistakes to happen. And, you know, it's kind of a bold story of like just warning about something like this, but also talking about just how real these stories are and how this is something that is, that you can see all over our, our place. And that there is this idea of like how maybe scripture in our lives can um, come together in wonderful, beautiful ways. I I appreciate how, how you worded that, um, which is really well caused. There is, I know this is, is an area of controversy I think Kaz and I are very much in agreement of how we handle it in our own family, um, which is, I think, a lot of probably our own attitude in approaching scripture and having that really just kind of a vulnerable conversation of the reality of, hey, something similar has, has happened today. And this is what it looks like today. I think it helps our kids 
really understand that in context. Um, so I'm not, I'm not one to edit much. I am just like, cause I'll, I'll younger kids. I will read from the international children's Bible. Um, I love that translation for kids, uh, just a little bit easier language for them, but I will, I will read directly as well. Um, and like I said, those conversations are very hard. They ask a lot of questions. And sometimes as parents, those are questions that we're not always comfortable answering. Um, and they take a lot of intentionality. So thinking, how, how can I, for example, as Kaz uses it, how can I relate this to our family or my own life? Um, or how can I um, use a, a language that my four-year-old um, would be able to understand this, this story in. Um, from my own context, I was um, consulting at a church many years ago and the youth uh, director came to me and said, I don't know what's happening here, but you, you got to fix it. I don't have a single teenager who knows who Noah is when they get into middle school youth group, which and there's a lot going on with that, with that, but um I think about, as, as you mentioned, what, what Noah are we presenting even? Are we telling the entire story? And sometimes the, we really love the happy ending, the beautiful pictures and the rainbow and the animals. And yes, like this is the first story we love to tell our kids because kids do love animals. And, and so I think that, that there is so much importance in it to really say, Hey, this is, this is who Noah was like, don't, don't leave out parts of his story. His story was important to God. His story should be important to us. Um, and so, yeah, it takes intentionality. It's not easy. Um, but so greatly, I just, it's such a huge blessing. I think for me, I'm sure it is for cause as well. When we get to have these conversations, my kids are 24, 20, um, my oldest, and then I have 15 year old twins. And as I have sent my now adult children out into the world, I, I just feel like I've so much better prepared them having all of the information, um, having shared all of the troubling things that are in scripture, because they do, they face that in the world and they come home and say, you know what, this reminded me of of in scripture, you know, um, and, and that helped me, that helped me through the situation. And I was able to reflect that. This has been so helpful. Um, I feel like we're just getting started and, and, uh, there's other directions that we could take this. It, um, and I, I think maybe a good place to at least close this part of it is just, uh, to parents that are uh, listening or even Sunday school, uh, teachers, what are some resources to get folks started that are hearing this, are seeing a need like, wow, this is, this is something that we should be addressing, um, but just don't know where to begin. Is there um, some, some at least beginning directions that you could point some of these people to? You mentioned this one earlier, um, but I think for parents who have maybe younger children at home, um, younger Sunday school classes, I very much enjoy the International Children's Bible um, as a translation for younger ages, um, especially when you have volunteers maybe who are uncomfortable with some language, that, that's a helpful resource um, to partner with the maybe the curriculum or the material that you use. So I have a maybe odd approach. Um, I, I like it when my children become curious themselves about a Bible story or, you know, they're, their kids are creative and, you know, they're very curious. So um, piquing that interest or curiosity is something I like to do. Um, one thing that I, I used to do and I still do fairly often is, you know, I would use um, maybe like an animated Bible version. So me being Japanese, there are actually a couple of anime series that is basically retelling the story of the Bible. And I don't stop there. I think the problem of like VeggieTales and things, if you just show that and leave it there, that's a problem. But by showing 
uh, anime series or store uh, an anime episode about a Bible that allows me to be a launching pad of saying like, well, let's actually see, you know, what the Bible Bible says about that story. So that's one thing that I do that I like. Um, And of course, I like any anime or manga. So those those are ways that I just even remember growing up. um, Tezuka-sama is a legend when it comes to uh you know japanese manga and i remember growing up reading um tezuka-sama's manga bible and that just piqued my interest and i still you know um continue to study the old testament till this day so maybe something that can help pique that interest in, in children's are also i think helpful even though maybe the story themselves are selective or um something that might not be completely accurate but then it's the parents role to step in i think that's that's an excellent that's excellent advice and and I think that's the challenge with what are some great resources but there are a lot of great resources the key is to get many of them um, look at different things include different things if it's if it's a different version of the Bible or if it's a different devotional or if it's even a video that you find um, I think that that's really important for parents to to just find what the action. I'm thinking of the Action Storybook Bible, which is um a kind of like a comic based uh, Bible that's a very popular Bible um for children that gets them really excited, uh, just like Haas about scripture, and um, encourages them always really to to start digging deeper. And so when it comes to resources, I don't I don't know if. I know it can be overwhelming, but um, I don't. I don't think that you can ever have too many as a parent. Well, Kaz and and Shelley, thank you both so much for this great conversation on teaching the Old Testament to children. Thank you. Well, thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun. Love from chatting with Shelley anytime I can. 